Well, we are beginning our fall sermon series today. We actually were supposed to begin last week, but Dorian changed that. And so I allowed last week to serve as an introduction to this week and our sermon series. And the sermon series is going to be on the Ten Commandments. And I actually did a series on the Ten Commandments here about 25 years ago. Hard to believe. And what's interesting is, if you will, how our culture has changed in that 25 years is amazing. And I, I, for example, Ten Commandments was something that you would hear periodically in the news, in culture, in shows. You rarely hear a reference to the Ten Commandments today. It's very interesting. It's very subtle, but it's very interesting. And I think it's uh, in part because people have departed from the Judeo-Christian tradition or at least pointing to it because there are very few people who are what I would call believing Jews in the Old Testament that would question or doubt or deny the Ten Commandments. Believing Christians in the New Testament who would believe the Ten Commandments to be something that holds importance to us, is central to us in our understanding of what it means to love God and love other people. Because that's really what the Ten Commandments are pointing to. What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love people? Some people refer to those as the two tablets. Some people would say that's the nature of the covenant of Israel with God, a covenantal relationship. But if you really want to come to an understanding and be clear that it's not, a, not just about rules, Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is the second stating of the, ten, or, of the Ten Commandments, the first one is in Exodus 20, the second stating of them is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 6 begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We call that the summary of the law. And then Leviticus 19 is the place that you see love your neighbors yourself. After the Ten Commandments have been unpacked. Again, a summary. And we sometimes miss that. We sometimes confuse the two. We want to put law on one side and we want to put love or gospel on the other side. But the two go hand in glove if you really understand the scriptures and the unfolding of the scriptures. The commandments point out where we fall short. So that we might understand the need for a savior. So that we might understand God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. As Christians, we're meant to fully understand this. Because Jesus in the Gospels and Paul, for example, in Romans 7 talks about this tension that we live. But the reality is, is that when we really seek to love the way God calls us to love, we will see the commandments as a way to be guided by God and his Holy Spirit and by his Holy Spirit to be empowered to live into these And what we really need to understand is the first commandment starts off with, I am the Lord your God. 
I am the Lord your God. Scripture never tries to prove God exists. You know, if you ever encounter people in the culture, and there's more and more people that would put themselves in the category of atheists or agnostics, who would say that they don't believe in God or, you know, you can't really know God. But Scripture never sets out to prove the existence of God. It's an assumption. From the very first book of the Old Testament, Genesis 1, in the beginning God. And then a parallel to that in the Gospels, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh. That's Jesus. So there's always an assumption. Romans 1, when Paul writes, he says, basically, you can see the nature of God in all the created order, so everyone's without an excuse. We can get a sense of who God is, and his nature, and his purpose, and our need, because we fall short. We can get a sense of that because God reveals himself. God is always the initiator. He is always the one who gives the invitation. And he, as scripture says, will never abandon us when we come to him. But see, the reality is is that people deny the true God. Or they abandon him. Or they abandon his way because they want to choose their own way. And we see that throughout Scripture as well. It's really interesting that when you begin to consider our day and age in terms of what people believe about God and about life and how to live life, a lot of times it's a departure from who God is and what God calls us to. But this is nothing new, if you know the scriptures. The Jews, the ones who were called to be God's people, called to be faithful. At the end of the book of Judges, there's a verse that's very powerful, and there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. See, if the Lord is not your king, because this has less to do with an earthly king than with a heavenly king. If the Lord is not your king, you will do what is right in your own eyes. Isaiah 5, when he's calling the people of Israel back, he says, the people are saying that good is evil and evil is good. We see that today too. What used to be 50 years ago good is now evil, and what is evil is now good. We have a shifting culture in terms of an understanding of God, because it's a departure from the true God. Dostoevsky, in his book, The Brothers Karamazov, said, where there is no God, all is permitted. Think about that. Where there is no God, all is permitted. Why? Because there's no true source of what is good or evil, what is right or wrong. There is no wondering or worrying about eternal life if there is no God. And so this world is all there is. So it's what you can get away with. It's what you want to do. And the line is, as long as you don't hurt other people. Which oftentimes really is garbage.
where there is no God. Everybody does what they want. Everybody makes up the way it is for them. And God's love, if you really understand his way, his call, God's love, as Psalm 19 says, is perfect. Why is his love perfect? Because he's holy. See, this word perfect can also be translated whole or complete. And that's really what deep down we all want, we all need, is to be whole and complete. And if we don't really understand God and who he is, that he is love and he is holy and he wants us to experience that completion, his perfection in our lives, we won't really submit to the true living God, the only God. Because we're always wanting to make one up. We're always following a false God. It's amazing that Israel, right after they were released from bondage in Egypt, and Moses goes up to meet with God, what's the first thing they do? They make up their own God. They make up their own way. And they even declare that this God brought them out of the land of Egypt. We, if we would remain faithful, must seek the true, the only God. The one who states the Ten Commandments for our lives. Who wants to guide us into what his love looks like so that we might be complete. The first four commandments begin with God. And then it continues with other people. The first great commandment, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving your neighbor as yourself because we understand his love and his ways. And we want to respond to people that way. So if you take these first four commandments and you want to summarize what they're talking about, the first commandment is about the primacy of God. That he has to be the focus, he has to be the center, the most important of our lives. The second commandment is about the person of God, no graven image. We'll get to that next week. The third commandment is about reverence for God. We don't take his name, calling ourselves as followers of him, in vain. And so we give him reverence and we lift him up in our lives. And the fourth commandment, it's time with God. Time for God. You know, it's really interesting. Once you understand what is primary, then you understand the rest of that relationship with that person must involve that they are a person. They are not an it, an object. And then you respect them. You revere them. You hold them as special. And then you want to spend time with them. Doesn't that make sense? And that's why God unfolds these commandments in the way that he does. And the first phrase that is of critical importance is, I am. I am. 
God, in who he is, has always existed for all time. No one created him. He is not a part of the created order. He is who he is. He is a person to be known. When's the first time that we come across the name, I am for God? Some of you probably know. When the people of Israel were crying out to God because they were in bondage, and Moses was getting ready to go to Egypt to become the one to deliver them, God's instrument. Moses says to God, and who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am has sent you. The one who is, the only true God. That's why we have been created by the one true only God. To know him, to love him, to follow him. And that's where it begins. It begins with him. I am. You know what it begins with most people today? Because of the enlightenment? It begins not with I am, but I think, therefore I am. Descartes. From the mid-1600s. That see, once I can think, I can come up with my own idea of God. I can come up with my own rules. I think, therefore I am. Instead of, I think because God made me and God made me in his image. I am because God made me at all. And see, the problem is, when we say or think statements like, I think, therefore I am, guess who the I am is for our lives? We are. It goes back to Adam and Eve, who wanted to be the God of their lives. And that's why we have to begin with, I am. The only, the source, the one that created us. The only one that has existed for all time. And then there are no other gods before me. Genesis 1, once again. God begins to reveal himself. In the beginning, God. So he is, and then he creates. He creates in cooperation with the wind, which is the Holy Spirit, and the spoken word, which is Jesus Christ. And then we read in Genesis 1.26, let us create humankind in our image, the Trinity revealed from the beginning. This is the one, the only, the true God. But see, if we have a false sense of God, we will instead worship the creation in one way or another instead of the creator. You know, subtly in our culture today, there's a couple of heresies floating around that the world loves to embrace. One is pantheism. Pantheism basically says that everything is God. 
We all participate in God. We all are God. And all of creation is God. And we forget about God being a unique person. Another form of that is panentheism, where God is a part of creation like the rest of us, and he just happens to be the one who's the most powerful, and he's up there. And oftentimes when people lean into that kind of belief, God becomes an it. Not a person, but an it. The force. Mother Earth. And see, when we can discount God as person, as unique, as personable, because he wants to have a relationship. Righteousness, I said this last week, righteousness is about right relationship. That God calls us to follow these commandments so that we might be righteous. We might be in a right relationship with him and each other. That there is this I-thou relationship, not an I-it relationship. There's a love relationship, not strictly a legal relationship. That if it's an I-it in this universe, then I become the center. And I treat other people as objects instead of people. They're there for my use, for my manipulation, for my ego. Instead of true love, as God reveals. Because he is person. And he wants a personal, righteous relationship with us. A right relationship. People love to say today, it doesn't matter what God you believe in because it's all the same. Or all paths lead to God. That's not what God says. It's not what God says in his word. It's disingenuous to say that all faiths are basically the same. All beliefs in God are basically the same. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. The problem with that thinking is you can be sincerely wrong. And we see that a lot with how people operate, frankly. Because they have a certain vision of God, a certain perception of God, it will lead them to live certain ways. And if you say, I said this several months ago after my mission trip when I encountered a woman at the airport and had a conversation. You can say, well, it really doesn't matter what, believe, what God you believe in because it's all the same God. That's not true. Because a sincere believer in any of these faiths would get angry if you said that. A Muslim would get angry at you if you said, well, the God of Christians and the God of Jews is the same as the God of Muslims. It's not true. If they believe in the Quran. And by the way, the Quran never says God is love or love is the way. 
Jews do not believe in a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not the same God. Hindus believe in thousands of gods. If you said that to a Hindu, Hindu, it would be nonsensical. And Buddhists, by the way, don't believe in any god. So they wouldn't even know what you're talking about. A true Buddhist. And so you cannot say it doesn't matter what god you believe in because there's truth involved. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's why he said in the gospel reading for today, if you're going to worship the Father, you must worship in spirit and in truth. And Jesus is the Ten Commandments embodied in a person because he is the Word made flesh. He lived into the commandments perfectly. And that's why we study the life and the words of Jesus. Because he embodies the commandments. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he goes as far as to say, he is God. Which all other faiths and all other religions would deny. The gospel reading we heard today, when the woman said, We know that Messiah is coming, and Jesus says, I am he. The Greek is egoimi, which is I am. The same word, the same phrase that God said to Moses. And he would go on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the source of salvation. He says, I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. Just like we read in the Old Testament, Psalm 23. And he's the gate, the way. He would say, I'm the bread of life. Which means we need to feed on him and his word. He would say, before Abraham was, I am. He is God. So when we read these Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's Jesus Christ who went to the cross to deliver us from the bondage of sin and death. Because he loved us so much, he laid down his life for us. That's the I am. That's God incarnate, Jesus Christ, who reveals the Father to us. The Word made flesh. You know, there's another name for the Ten Commandments. Some of you probably have heard it. It's called the Decalogue. Deca means ten. Log means word. Isn't that interesting how that works out? The Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. He embodies these Ten Commandments so that we would come to an understanding of what it means to follow him and that there is there are no other gods you cannot begin a walk in faith a walk in loving god and loving other people as he would have us love them unless you understand the true god the i am the one who brings us out of bondage who created us 
in his image. To know him and to love him. To follow him. And we're given a free will to do so. He never coerces, but he always initiates. Gene Wheatley right now is teaching a course on the divine marriage. And if you really understand what God is after for us, the Ten Commandments is a covenant. It's not a contract. It's not about legalism. It's about a relationship. It's about the bridegroom and his bride, the church. That God so loves us that he sent his son to die for us so that we might understand the depth of that love. And he doesn't then abandon us. He sends his Holy Spirit to guide us in his word. To empower us to follow him and to follow these commandments. It begins with I am. He is and wants to be your Savior and Lord. And there's no other gods. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, you call us into this relationship. A relationship that is based on your love and the depth of your love. That love is not about sentiment or feelings only. It's about covenant and commitment. It's about seeking you and following you. Jesus, who is the good shepherd, who calls us by name. Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, I pray this day that every person here would know the true and living God. Through his son, Jesus Christ, God incarnate. That all of us would seek to know you. The one who fulfills the word, the one who lived the word, the one who is the word. Lord, help us to begin with this first commandment primary to our lives, essential to our lives, that there are no other gods and that we seek to serve and worship you only. Lord, I pray today that some here would reconsider the call of the Ten Commandments, that maybe there are some here who really don't know you as Savior and Lord and would come to know the great and the true I am, but all of us, Lord, would be guided by your word so that we might become more and more like you, righteous, and have right relationships. Lord, we commit this fall to you in seeking after your commandments 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.